0: Hello, everyone. So in this episode, we are going to go through the interior castle of St. Teresa of Avila. This is her most well-known work in which she describes the stages of the soul's journey to God. Now, as I'll discuss in the episode here, I'm going to focus just on the grades of prayer in each mansion. There is so much depth, so much to learn, so much that Teresa gets into in her work. However, I think The most approachable is really discussing the types of prayer found in each stage. Again, this episode will also be a lot. We're going to talk about a lot of stages. We're going to talk about a lot of prayer. While I do have show notes available on Patreon for all patrons, I'm putting a link in the description that is free to everyone. That's kind of a simplified version of the mansions. You do need to listen to the episode for the context. Uh, And it's going to be a simplification of a simplification because this episode is already simplified. But I'm hoping that assists all of you in having a resource to further study the mansions. So that will be in the description. So thank you for listening. I hope you have enjoyed this trilogy on the great St. Teresa. And thank you for listening. Enjoy. I ask the divine physician, St. Luke, What did Christ mean when you quoted him, when he uttered the words, for the kingdom of God is within you? So, St. Luke, where is this kingdom? Is it within my body, this aching, mortal bag of flesh and bones? No, it cannot be. For God's kingdom cannot be temporary. Therefore, this kingdom must be something and somewhere eternal, somewhere within me, somewhere that only God the Father knows. For did the psalmist not say that I was fearfully and wonderfully made? Did the psalmist not exclaim with passion and vigor to the loving Father, Where can I go to escape you? If I ascend into heaven, there you are. And if I make my bed in the depths of hell, there you are too. If I were to somehow manage to rise on the wings of dawn or travel to the very ends of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. The psalmist was right, dear father, when he characterized you as an inescapable God with an inescapable love. Therefore, when I ask, where is this kingdom, it must be somewhere you always are, and therefore it must be within the depths of my soul." The great mother of prayer, St. Teresa of Avila, also noted this. She shouted it from the rooftops across her travels in Spain. She would say that the soul is a castle, and what castle does not have a king? For at the heart of the castles within our soul, there you are, my God. And so there we are, moving past the venomous pits of vice and darkness that lay outside the castle's walls, and within we seek you out. We go from room to room, mansion to mansion. Sometimes we run slowly, other times we move frantically. Running down these halls, looking for glimpses of you, smelling for your sweet perfume, and keeping our eyes squinted towards the light that peeks out from the doors of your bedchambers. And in the rooms of our quieted mind, we can hear you whispering and calling. We can hear you crying out our names as we make our journey into your loving arms. And this all happens within the interior castle of our souls. This is another episode of St. Anthony's Tongue. And this is the interior castle of St. Teresa of Avila. St. Teresa of Avila, she wrote her best-known work, The Interior Castle, as a way to assist her nuns in discerning where they were in their spiritual journey. And The Interior Castle, though, before we jump into that, we have to understand what it builds upon. The Interior Castle builds upon her previous work, The Way of Perfection. Now, I mentioned this in the previous bio episode on St. Teresa, And I kind of get into this on the mystical prayer episode as well. But in The Way of Perfection, she uses an analogy of water and a garden to describe the different stages of prayer. And if you have listened to the mystical prayer episode, you'll see the correlation here. So this is what she taught. And I really like, I really love, actually, this teaching of St. Teresa. So the first water, she says... The gardener goes and actively brings water from the well to water his plants. So this, she says, describes a vocal prayer where we're doing the work, but it's work. We are going and bringing the water from the well. It's something very active and physical. The second water, she says, is using a water wheel. So here we've developed a system to water our garden. It's easier than the well but it still takes some work. And Teresa, this would describe meditation or meditative prayer. The third water to St. Teresa is a river or a stream. It's there for us to tap into. We can build irrigation from the stream to our garden. And this is a more mystical view of prayer, like contemplation. God has given us access to this river, to this water, but we still have to do the work. We have to build the irrigation channels. And he ultimately decides and still determines the tides that nourish our garden. But we have this reservoir. We have this flow that we've now discovered and we can tap into. Now, if you recall the mystical prayer episode, we mentioned three levels of prayer, vocal, meditation, contemplation so for Teresa the third the river the stream is a form of contemplation but then she will go on to say the fourth water though is rain now here God is in complete control and he sends the rain to nourish our garden and to Teresa this rain this fourth water it represents a stage even beyond contemplation it represents union or even ecstatic prayer this is a gift from God it's totally through him You do not need irrigation or building a water wheel or going to the stream, it's completely from God. And what I like about her four stages is the traditional three stages, vocal, meditation, contemplation, there's no intermediary. But when you start to pray and you start to practice and you start to really engage your spirituality, there is something you can kind of tap into. It's something that is there in the background, like a stream or a river. It's there. But then again, it's a little different from just God pouring rain down, from God just bestowing blessings, because it still takes work. It doesn't take as much work as the water wheel. It doesn't take as much work as a very in-depth meditation. So I like that. I like the four stages that she gives us. And this early analogy is beautiful, and it's still my favorite of Teresa's, but there's still much more to unpack, especially when it concerns to where are we in our journey? Where am I right now? Am I able to go to this dream? Am I able or should I, have I prepared myself well enough to expect God to rain down contemplation on me? How do I know? And these questions, which actually many arose from the students of her protege, John of the Cross, This allowed Teresa to develop these four stages further, and this ultimately became, this ultimately matured into her work, The Interior Castle. So in The Interior Castle, it opens with this beautiful picture, this beautiful metaphor, this beautiful journey, in which Teresa describes the soul as if it were a castle made of a single diamond. And within that diamond, There are seven mansions, and within those mansions there are various rooms, but the heart of the mansion, the heart of the castle, the heart of the soul, is God. All harm comes to us from failing to realize that God is near, for the kingdom of God is within you. That's Luke 17, 21. Outside of the castle walls, though, are venomous creatures which represent addiction sin, vice, distractions, things that want to keep us away from the journey, that want to keep us outside of even trying to enter the castle. And though the soul it can journey within these mansions to unite itself to God, to plant itself like a tree, as Teresa says in the living waters of life, the journey to God is the soul's essential mission. And I think that's beautiful, because again, as I've said a few times leading up to this episode, often we think of God and our relationship as something that's completely in God's control or completely in our control, though Teresa would say that it's our soul's purpose to journey to God, to go through these mansions. And even in this lifetime, Teresa says, the soul can make it all the way to the seventh mansion, the final mansion in which it can be completely united with God. And the journey is completed in heaven, though, where the soul experiences the beatific vision, though here on Earth, we can reach a penultimate experience with God, the final mansion, the seventh mansion, where we unite with the Father. And there's a lot of writing and opinion on this concept of the castle the journey of a soul through a castle. There are some parallels in early Jewish mysticism, and Teresa's father and grandfather were actually Christian converts from Judaism. So there could be a connection there. She may have been inspired by Jewish mystics for this soul-castle analogy. However, and that could be true, I'm not saying there's one or the other. However, there is also a lot of this in the Song of Songs about a soul or a person or a bride going through a castle to find the king, the beloved, the father. So there's parallels there, but nonetheless, it's a very powerful image. And she will say that we simply enter this castle through prayer. However, if you remember outside of the castle, They're venomous snakes, as she would say, and this represents distractions and things that stop us from that prayerfulness, so things that do not want us to sit down in prayer. To me this also shows how today we've almost too much anthropomorphized the word demonic, and last year I did a whole demonic series. Today we see it as this literal demon, this literal devil. And is that possible and real? Absolutely. However, the demonic, the evil, the evil one, that's just things that push us away from God. It doesn't necessarily have to be this literal demon. It can be a tendency that is more in favor of demonization than deification. And in this regard, I think Teresa's discussing that here. The venomous snakes, she's not saying there's literal demons in your home, in your altar, in church with you, trying to get you to stop praying, no. She's just saying that sometimes our tendencies, our distractions, our vices can pull us away from wanting to pray. However, moving past these snakes, these venomous creatures, as she calls them, it's very simple, we move past them just by sitting down to pray. And even in the first stage, the first mansion, we have moved past those venomous creatures quite easily, which we'll get to. All right, so before we enter the castle of St. Teresa of Avila and start going through the mansions, I do want to say that there is so much that I am not going to touch on because it would be... I could have a whole podcast in of itself on the interior castle by Teresa of Avila. Um, In each stage, in each mansion, the mansions represent the stages, there is so much she talks about from what we are more drawn to, what we are more put off by, the experiences we have, so on and so forth. So for simplicity's sake, what I am going to focus on are the grades of prayer that she discusses, and I. this is a common way to break down her castles. Now why am I focusing on that? Because It gives us something we can do. It gives us something we can aspire to. It's not an abstract notion about you know what we are more drawn to or reviled by. It's something we actually do. And it fits perfectly. The stages of the soul, so every mansion we are in, it comes with a type of prayer or she would say a grade of prayer. That is more natural to us in each stage. As I've mentioned before in the previous episode on Teresa, Also keep in mind, these stages, they're not as concrete. These mansions are not as concrete. You can be in between two mansions. You can go back and forth from mansions. She'll say that you can never skip a mansion, though. But you can go back and forth. And also, it's important to not be too caught up in which mansion we are in. The thing that she says we should more be caught up in is that we are listening and following the guide of the Holy Spirit. Alright, so we have begun to sit in prayer, and we are now entering the First Mansion. Here in the First Mansion, the soul needs to spend time in the rooms of humility and self-knowledge, as Teresa would say. This is when we begin to purge all that is evil or unnecessary from our lives. Here the soul starts to focus less on itself and its ego, and more on Christ and God. if you remember the Experiencing God episode, the first episode in this season, I discussed the purgative, illuminative, and unitive way. The first mansion, here she is discussing purging, purging ourselves of all that is evil and all that is unnecessary. And here is when we start experiencing our first grade of prayer and what she calls active prayers. And this is a form of prayer that comes from our own efforts. And the type of active prayer, and there's really only one in the first mansion, is vocal prayer. Again, we talked about the stages of prayer in the mystical prayer episode, so this makes sense. Here in vocal prayer, we recite words that are composed by others, and often these are wordy prayers. We often don't really sit in silence during this time. but it's going to be a good stepping stone for meditation and later contemplation. So that's the first mansion. The first mansion is simply purging, simply getting started. It's the entryway, the foyer of a mansion. Really, it's, it's the first stage. Alright, so we've sat in that mansion for a while and again sit in that mansion for as ever long as it takes you. You're following the guide of your Holy Spirit. But you'll start to feel naturally that you're moving from one to the other. You'll feel it, you'll know. So eventually you're going to move into the second mansion. And in this mansion, the soul begins to grow in holiness through its perseverance and prayer. This involves conversations with good people, reading good books and listening to edifying sermons. I was quoting St. Teresa for that one. The soul spends time in the room the practice of prayer. The soul is moving farther into the castle, and it purges itself from its imperfections. It purges itself from everything that is not necessary. And it also, in doing that, it grows in charity. Charity basically means love for love's sake. And it now has even greater of a desire for God. And this is an interesting Mansion, I like that there's the room of practicing prayer in it. So you still have a little bit of that purgation in it, that purgative stage. And like I said at the top of this episode, what I like about Teresa is I feel the three stages of prayer. They're a little too black and white. But here she's saying, you're going to start feeling things, feeling a growing desire for God, but we're still purging. And it is possible that distractions hit and then we might even find ourselves in the first mansion or even outside the gates again trying to overcome those distractions. But it's okay because we've already been in these mansions so it's easy to get back in and go back. And in the second mansion now, We start to have the grade of prayer called discursive meditation, and this is true meditation where we meditate upon a piece of sacred scripture or some other devotional element. It's important that the goal here, as I've said before with meditation, is not to become theologians, but to let our reflections lead us to God speaking to us and leading us to speak to God from our heart. And from here, we actually might start doing less talking and more listening. God's voice, whether that's in the text, the images, whatever we're meditating on. And we can start getting knowledge and input on how the Holy Spirit is becking us to move forward. Or rather than really framing it too as useful knowledge, sometimes we just sit with that message or that feeling and let it wash over us. Now we move on to the third mansion, and I'm gonna paraphrase Saint Teresa here. Souls entering the third mansion have overcome their initial difficulties, and they are more desirous not to offend His Majesty. They avoid committing even venial sins, and they spend hours in recollection, which is prayer, practice works of charity, and they are very careful even in their speech. They make good use of their lives, they experience consolation and spiritual sweetness in prayer and meditation. They are living upright and carefully ordered lives. So here we start to see her use the word consolation. Consolation could be a few things. One, it's just you have this, it's so hard to describe these feelings sometimes. Consolation could be described as you just have this confidence that things are working in your favor. That's one consolation. You could have faith that God is going to work through you and whatever you feel is heavy on your heart or Consolation could be a glimpse of the divine, it could be a small touch of contemplation here. It's going to be very subtle according to St. Teresa in this mansion, but we can start seeing some type of grace and feeling as well. Here is where it gets kind of interesting though. So Teresa would say that as we move forward, two things happen in the third mansion. One, we are still governed by reason, she says. We still need to learn that perfection consists not in consolations, but in the increase of love. She also said these souls have not yet made a full surrender of their wills to God. So she's saying a few things here. One, she is saying in this stage, we're still very logical. We're still very in our heads and in our minds, and we need to go further. We need to get out of our minds, and that's going to come in later mansions. But she also says perfection consists not in consolations, but in the increase of love. So what she is saying here is what St. John of the Cross and Teresa would later coin the dark nights. Um, this would be a very small version of a dark night. Essentially, God starts removing those consolations, those graces, those feelings, not out of spite but because we are becoming too dependent we could be becoming too dependent on them we become attached to this feeling of grace of small ecstasies of you know we we get um, attached to our emotions and we get attached to what we're feeling rather than attached to god himself therefore Teresa says, God can start weaning you off of these consolations very slowly. And in this third mansion, you may feel periods of aridity in prayer. This is likely just God weaning you off of those consolations, so you're not dependent on the gifts, but dependent on God's love itself. Also, This can be God calling you to find him in new places, in new prayers, in new ways, in new situations as well. Teresa will also kind of say, and again, remember she's speaking to Carmelite cloistered nuns. She'll basically also say that God might be withholding some of this consolation, some of these graces for you to humble you, to teach you about God's majesty. Not because, not in this way of, oh, aren't you glad I'm here? look at me when i take everything away from you no rather than it brings you back down to earth it keeps you humble and it keeps you aware that god is in control and in a way assists you in trusting god and that's a bigger topic we're going to get down when we talk about john of the cross and other carmelites regardless though Teresa does say in this third mansion through perseverance through working through these moments of aridity We'll see what we need to know, whether that's pushing us into a new direction of prayer, or just fully trusting in God more closely. There is a light at the end of the tunnel in this mansion. We are going to come out of it with some form of spiritual gift. Now the grade of prayer in the third mansion is what Teresa calls effective prayer, and that is. A fruit of discursive meditation. So in the previous mansion, we start sitting in meditation and meditating. And after that meditation, it will lead us right into effective prayer. So we've meditated on scripture, we've meditated on an image, we've meditated on just the love of God in general, and now it has moved us to what Teresa calls effective prayer. So that previous mansion, Mansion 2, has moved us into Mansion 3 with effective prayer. And here, She says the heart dominates, and the heart dominating, the heart overcoming our reason and logic to an extent, it's a fruit of our discursive meditation. Here, we are moved to express love for God almost at once. In effective prayer, we are sometimes moved to even sit silently for a moment or longer to hear what the Holy Spirit would say to us. When our mind begins to wander, We return to that meditation. We return to image or scripture, and then we repeat the process. We can also have to even go all the way back up to vocal prayer. Nonetheless, though, we're sitting there in meditation in the second mansion, and then we feel this bubbling up that I've talked about in previous episodes, this bubbling up of the spirit, this bubbling up for the love of God, and we just want to express our love God, whether that's through verbalizing it, whether that's through writing it down, whether that's just through sitting there and feeling it, it's effective prayer. The emotion is there. We are still using our logic and our reason in that moment. We are still maybe even starting to dissect it. And we do that. We have to go back, go back to the meditation, go back to even the vocal prayer. So you kind of move through mansion one with the vocal prayer, mansion two with the meditation, mansion three with the effective prayer. Maybe even in one session. But our soul is still in the third mansion, if that makes sense. We've, we've gone to the third mansion, we can go there again, but we are in that third stage, right? So that's where we are. We are in the third mansion, but we can go back to one and two to get to the third. And these three mansions are still pretty much in the purgative way. There's illuminate illuminative that's coming with this third, but we're still in that purgation. So these three are ones that we can kind of reside in pretty quickly and easily. It still takes work, especially mansions two and three, but these first three are fairly easy to go through. All right, so the fourth mansion is a milestone. So as I just said, one, two, and three are very active. We are putting in the work. We are still doing this work and bringing the well to the garden. We're still even building the water wheel to an extent. We haven't gotten to the stages of rain or the river or the stream. But the fourth mansion changes that. This marks our advancement out of the purgative way and into the illuminative way. Teresa states the soul is now getting nearer to the place where the king dwells. The fourth mansion marks the transition from the active stage of purgation to the illuminative stage, which is more passive. In short, this mansion is the soul beginning to enter into supernatural prayer. As the king, God takes more direct action to communicate with the soul. So now we can hear God's voice, or as Bernard of Clairvaux said, we are in the castle and we can smell the perfume of our beloved. But this marks The first stage as an entry point to supernatural prayer. So this grade of prayer is not completely supernatural. This is still a type of active prayer, in a way. And this grade of prayer in the fourth mansion is called acquired recollection, also called the prayer of the simple gaze. So this is the final grade of prayer that we can reach without divine intervention. It's called by many names, Teresa calls it acquired recollection. And here we begin to just gaze at Jesus, at God with love, saying a few words now and then, but mostly just soaking in his presence. We might, on the other hand, have to return to discursive meditation or even vocal prayer at times. Though St. John of the Cross, Teresa's protege would say, That if one can go right into prayer of the simple gaze, you might not need to go into meditation. So this is, again, a fruit. It's another fruit. It's quite similar to effective prayer, but this time it's a little wordless. It's just simple, it's more intense in a way. And like I just said, you might have to go all the way back up to vocal prayer. You might have to go to discursive meditation, and then effective prayer, and then then you feel the simple gaze. So the simple gaze might come after that bubbling up of the Holy Spirit, where you just speak, and write or write, or say a few words mentally or verbally, and then you have this simple gaze where you just feel God's love more intensely. You might have to go again all the way back up, or as John of the Cross would say, you might be able to just go there from the jump. But this feeling that we're feeling, we feel it a little less intensely in effective prayer. We feel it more intensely in the prayer of the simple gaze, acquired recollection. So this is still God imbuing us with his love that we can feel. And what is interesting here, so I've talked about petitionary prayer and intercessory prayer in the past. Teresa of Avila though, talks about petitioning. She doesn't say that we should never go to God for anything. She never says that. And I know in the previous episodes, I've said that many people think that prayer is just about asking for things, but it's more than that. It is more than that. It is about union. Though Teresa of Avila does show and say that petitioning is important. And she also says in this fourth mansion, during the prayer of the simple gaze, that is a great time to petition. We should make our petition like beggars, she says, before a powerful emperor. Then, wait. When he secretly shows us he hears our prayers, it is well to be silent, as he has drawn us into his presence. There would then be no harm in trying to keep our minds at rest. This is to say, if we can. So within this mansion, while we are sitting, ask for things. I would recommend that we also... And Teresa of Avila will too, it's not just me. (laughs) We still make that presence and that union top of mind. Humbly wait, leave it at the foot of God. But in that stage, in that mansion, Teresa says is when we do and should petition. In fact, she says it even more plainly in chapter three of Interior Castle. Our Lord wishes us at such a time, so in the fourth mansion, to offer him our petitions and to place ourselves in his presence. It is here, he knows what is best for us. And that is still an illuminative path. And the next mansion, the fifth mansion, is also really interesting because this is one that Teresa says she has difficulty in explaining. She says, the fifth mansion, sometimes these are called castles, by the way, so if you hear me quoting her and I say castles rather than mansion, they're used interchangeably. There's still hidden treasures in this castle mansion. Teresa wonders how she will ever be able to explain the riches and delights found in the fifth mansion. She also tells that many nuns make it to this lofty state of prayer of the fifth mansion. So this is an attainable, common stage. It's lofty, it's advanced. Many still make it to this fifth mansion. And Teresa will also say that in the fifth mansion, that is when we start to go even deeper in prayer. I'm saying we, but I mean our souls. Our souls start going even deeper in prayer. We begin uniting with God, starting in the fifth mansion, and this will end in the seventh mansion, which we'll get to, but right now we're in the fifth, and this is the beginning. So the grade of prayer, the stage of prayer here, is called infused recollection, and this is the first of our contemplative prayers so our active prayers are done by our own efforts so everything we've discussed are active prayers by our own efforts vocal discursive meditation effective prayer acquired recollection also called prayer of a simple gaze but here is when we start having contemplative prayers as we've discussed in the past contemplative prayer contemplation means a gift from god it's a gift God bestows, we cannot do anything, but we can only prepare for it. And Teresa here has given us ways to prepare for it. So, this grade of prayer in the fifth mansion, which is the first contemplative prayer, which is by the grace of God, through divine intervention, is called infused recollection, and this is also sometimes called infused contemplation or supernatural contemplation. And this is when we feel God's love on its own. So previously, we will be meditating on Gethsemane or some other image or mystery, and we will be filled with a feeling of God's love by our own meditation, our own mental action. Here, however, that feeling occurs on its own. It could be when we're doing the dishes or going on a walk. This comes and goes by God's will. And often though, this is important. It's scene is so subtle, you may not even realize it's happening. It also can be so similar to acquired recollection, the prayer of the simple gaze, that the two can be hard to distinguish, which is interesting. All right. And if you're lost, I'm going to do a recap after we're done with the mansions. Also... I'll be posting a map of this on social media as well as all of the show notes are on Patreon. I'll probably do some other post breaking this down further in a very simple way. Alright, so that was the fifth mansion. The sixth mansion, remember starting in the fifth we start moving towards prayer of union, the final stage. The sixth mansion though, we're getting a little closer, and this marks the transition from the illuminative to the unitive. Here the soul has fallen deeply in love with the king, and now ready for spiritual betrothal to him. However, the journey through the sixth mansion will not be without danger and affliction. And to persevere, the soul will have to suffer so much. Oh my God, Teresa laments. How great are these trials which the soul will suffer, both within and without, before it enters the seventh mansion. I know. It sounds intimidating, but let's jump in. So the prayer in the sixth mansion. So we are living life of virtue, of charity. We have this active prayer life. We are experiencing infused recollection where God is just bestowing graces upon us. And then that leads eventually to the sixth mansion. And here is where we start to encounter the prayer called the prayer of quiet. This is a supernatural state, and however hard we try, we cannot reach it ourselves. In this state, the faculties are all stilled. The soul, in a way which has nothing to do with the outward senses, realizes that it is now very close to its God, and that if it were but a little bit closer, it will become one with him through union. It's a quote from Teresa. So here we start really starting to unite with God. So we have two prayers here we have the prayer of quiet, but also the prayer of union. Let's start with the prayer of quiet. Here, Teresa states that the will is occupied during the prayer of quiet and is captivated by God and enjoys a loving communion with Him. However, while the will Is still captivated by God, the mind sometimes races. And we need to use our will to keep the mind focused on this grace. So this would kind of be like the acquired recollection or prayer of the simple gaze, where we're feeling it. But there's a lot of will, there's a lot of force in the prayer of the simple gaze where we have to keep our mind still. Here, it's more intense. And We are so captivated by God, we don't really have to do anything else. We don't want to do anything else. God has overcome our will to do anything but sit there. The mind might race, and we need to maybe use our will a little bit to keep it focused on this grace we're feeling, but it's much more unitive. And then we have the prayer of union, and this is... Essentially a step above the prayer of quiet here if we continue on the path of prayer and virtue One cannot grow without the other In Teresa's teachings We will eventually be brought into the prayer of union here God suspends the operation of both the intellect and the will so the mind and the will Are completely in God's control and we feel total absorption in God And he casts out all distractions, so we do not have to focus our mind is just always there And in this moment, in this prayer, God does everything. No method can create the prayer of quiet or the ultimate prayer of union. We can only prepare ourselves to receive them. Alright, so now we enter the final mansion, the seventh mansion. This is when the soul enters into a spiritual marriage with her bridegroom, the king. The soul is penetrated to the very center of itself where his majesty alone dwells. Teresa refers to this place in the soul as the second heaven. The soul is brought into this mansion by means of an intellectual vision where the most holy trinity reveals itself in all three persons. Here all three persons communicate themselves to the soul and speak to the soul. And here I'm not going to call it prayer of. It's more of a state that we enter into, call it a prayer though if you want. And that is spiritual betrothal. So here, if you go back to prayer of union, we still have all of our senses. We can still see, hear, taste, smell. Though in spiritual betrothal or conforming union as it's also called, even our external senses become enveloped by God. And this sometimes leads to ecstatic experiences. So Prayer of union, we still have our senses, but here it's so deep that even our senses are in control by God. So this is the final mansion, so we start getting into the full ecstasy in which Teresa herself experienced. I will quote her here. This is what she says about spiritual betrothal. And now you are going to see what His Majesty does to confirm this betrothal. For this, as I understand it, is what happens when he bestows rapture which carries the soul out of its senses. For if, while still in possession of its senses, the soul saw that it was so near to such great majesty, it might perhaps be unable to remain alive. That's really good. (laughs) Basically, he has to take away our senses. No one can see the face of God and live. So he takes away our senses so we can remain alive. She continues. The position in this case, as I understand it, is that the soul has never been so fully awake to the things of God, or had such light or such knowledge of His Majesty. This may seem impossible, because if the faculties are so completely absorbed that we might describe them as dead, and the senses are so well, how can the soul be said to understand the secret? I cannot say, nor perhaps can any creature. Beautiful so he or she is saying how is that possible to experience god if our senses aren't in it and she says i don't know i love it and then the ninth the final grade of prayer in all of the mansions to the soul is spiritual marriage and you see this with a lot of the saints Catherine of Siena is the most notable but this is a early Christian concept coming from the Song of Songs, very popular in the Middle Ages as well. So spiritual marriage. The betrothal, which was the previous prayer, is a courting phase, essentially, where spiritual marriage, on the other hand, is this full union with God. This is akin to an ego death of sorts. The soul comes into the most intimate union with God possible. Mortal sins, seas, suffering is welcomed. I'm quoting Teresa The self is forgotten and God is known in nearly all things. Lastly, St. Teresa teaches that in this grade of prayer, unlike the grades before it, it lasts. There's a permanency of this union and love. It stays there. So spiritual marriage, you are consistently in that union with God. I'll quote Teresa again. The soul becomes brilliant and transformed in God, and God communicates to the soul his supernatural being to such an extent that the soul appears to be God and to have all that God has. Such a union is effected when God grants to the soul this supernatural mercy, as a result of which all the things of God and the soul are one in transformation. And there we have these seven mansions of Teresa. So as a quick recap, the first mansion is when we are starting to get into our prayer life. This also starts active prayers, the ones by our own efforts. Vocal prayer is in the first mansion. We pray pre-written prayers, mostly starting to get our life together from a standpoint where we can be more receptive to God's love and feeling. The second mansion, discursive meditation, that's where we're using our intellect to draw up feelings and emotion and thoughts about God. The third mansion is effective prayer. This is when we just start to feel moved after that meditation. We start feeling this feeling of love. And we might want to say a few words or we might just want to sit silently. Fourth mansion, acquired recollection, the prayer of the simple gaze. It's building upon that previous prayer. This is when we're able to just sit there and feel God's love wash over us. And these are all prayers that we do on our own. And we might have to go all the way back to vocal prayer before we end up the prayer of the simple gaze. Next mansion, we start to feel contemplative prayers, prayers that are assisted by the grace of God, infused recollection. This is when we feel God's love on its own. We might not even be in a prayer session. Sometimes we will, though, so it's a little bit difficult to separate it from the prayer of the simple gaze. But infused recollection, infused meaning God is infusing this grace feeling of love and it's not done by our action. Sixth mansion, prayer of quiet. This is when our will is occupied during the prayer of quiet. It's captivated by God and we're enjoying that communion with him. However, our mind might start racing. Though we then have the prayer of union in this mansion where God is going to suspend both the intellect and the will, a total absorption of God. And then the seventh is when we start to have the ecstatic experiences, the spiritual betrothal, which are ecstasies where even our senses are in God's control, and then spiritual marriage. Here actually we start having less of the ecstatic experiences, and instead it's just always feeling that love and that transformation within us. All right. So, what can we take away from the interior castle? Insight one, which I did kind of talk about already, it applies to that three ages of the interior life I talked about. The first three mansions are purgative. Four through six are illuminative, and seventh is unitive. So it, it matches that. And then also. She speaks a lot about darkness and distractions that arise as part of the mansions. She also says that the devil works to distract us from our prayerfulness. Largely, she discusses how the devil will distract us in those first four stages. And she also talks about stage four, five, and six. We might experience aridity. While this isn't a trick of the devil, Teresa says this is a test of sorts from God of our devotion to prayer. And this aridity, which is when we go and meet God in our prayer, but he's no longer there, it can be to wean us off of consolations. So we're not courting God because of the gifts, but because of love itself. As I've kind of alluded to already, later John of the Cross would popularize the term dark night of the soul, dark night of the senses, which speaks to this phenomenon, which we'll get into in this season. And I think another big insight just that there is this pathway to God that progresses within us and those three ages or stages purgative, illuminative, unitive, it's interesting because those are seen in not just Teresa of Avila but most of the mystics and honestly not even just in Christianity that same process can be found in mysticism and spiritual practices around the world so it's beautiful to see that there is a pathway that has been used almost universally to an extent. But it's important to see that our soul can connect with God and have a relationship that grows. I also find it beneficial that the final four mansions, they're only according to God's grace. I think this keeps us humble and reminds us that a certain submission to a higher power is, is useful. Especially when we're sitting there in the prayer of the simple gaze and we leave our petitions. I've always said that I love novenas and prayers because I can leave it. I'm not hanging on to it, I'm not grasping it, I'm not attaching to my problems. I've brought it to God and I'm faithful that I've brought it to Him and now I can walk away. When we try to force things, it creates tension rather than growth. They also think stages are good. It's nice to see stages of our spiritual journey, but not so we can have this ego moment, as if we're advanced, we can make it to the fifth stage, everyone else is stuck in the first, but rather it's a reminder that there is a process and we can see ourselves in a good pathway. However, on the flip side, we shouldn't be too caught up on what mansion we are in. Teresa herself said that The lines between the mansions aren't sharp, and rather than becoming obsessed with where we are, we just must keep praying and trust in the Holy Spirit to guide us. And that's also why I think it's powerful that the final stages are gifts from God, you know, because we can all see the first four and where we are, what is coming to us more easily. The rest is up to God, I think that's lovely. And as I've said, there is so much more on the mansions, on the interior castle. There are rooms within the mansions that I could have gotten into. There are tendencies we are more open to in the mansions that I have gotten into, but I wanted to keep it short and simple. This has almost been an hour, so this was as short and simple as I could make it. So I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you can see the beauty of that process of prayer. I did the mystical prayer episode And now I'm showing you this. And I'm doing that because it's such a beautiful pathway. It's such a beautiful way to God. And it's a method of sorts. So I hope you've enjoyed it. Let's end with a prayer in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Dear God, God who dwells in the center of the castle within our souls, St. Augustine said, we are restless until we rest in you. So as we journey through the vast halls of your kingdom, a kingdom in which you have placed within us, may we not grow tired. May we not grow distracted. May we not be off put by the venomous creatures we may meet along the way. Instead, God, let us hear your voice. Let us smell the sweetness of your perfume as we go from room to room and mansion to mansion. For we do not only seek you, God, but you seek us. Allow us to quiet our minds and slow our restless hearts so we can rest in you. St. Teresa, pray for us. Amen. This has been another episode of St. Anthony's Tongue, and I have been your host, W. I hope you have enjoyed this brief foray through the castles of the soul. I also hope that it has piqued your curiosity to methods that you can use in your meditation and prayer. And if so, be sure to tune in next week as we jump into mystical reading of the Word of God in the form of Lexio Divina. Thank you so much, and remember, we are restless, O oh God, until we rest in you.